0: morning can you hear me okay how about now okay you know there's a there's a new allergy going around it's called almost 56 and I've had it for three weeks so I got all the symptoms (laughs) it's good to see all of you this morning I don't know what you're doing but you get better looking every week So, y'all can. Okay. (laughs) Y'all have to share that secret with me. Okay. All right. Well, today we're going to pick up in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. Chapter 15 ended very dramatically. Um, You know, we've seen Samuel come along as a when Hannah took him to to be dedicating to God as a child, and now he is taking care of business for someone who was supposed to take care of business, and they didn't. It's very dramatic when you think about Samuel cutting up a king into pieces. That's just kind of, you know, what, you see a different side of of his obedience to God and what was commanded from the get-go when they were supposed to go in and utterly destroy all the inhabitants, which included the king. So let's start chapter 16. We're going to start with verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So chapter 16 begins with Samuel, and he's mourning for Saul. And note note the wording here where it says, Seeing I, God, have rejected him from reigning over Israel. I believe it's safe to say that God did not give up on Saul himself. But he did reject him as being king. Why did God reject Saul as being king? Okay. Okay. But when you hear him discussing this with with, um, Samuel in in chapter 15, he keeps saying over and over, I have done the commands of God. You notice that? His way. But he keeps, and, and if you'll go back and pick up on all the conversations and the reasoning behind Saul's actions he's always putting what the people want over what God wants and he's not patient enough to wait and to do what God is asking him to do but he is more concerned about pleasing the people. And something else as I was reading back in 15 if you pick up on Saul's conversation with Samuel his reply back to Samuel is always something that that Samuel would want to hear. But his actions are totally different from what his words are. So it's, it's kind of, he's following the people instead of God. God is ready to move forward with appointing the next king over Israel. God urges Samuel to fill your horn with oil and go. Samuel is telling him, or God is telling Samuel to get over it, to move on. Now application, God is now sending Jesse to Bethlehem, but how can we apply this this to today of of Samuel is mourning so much for this this person, Saul, that he is not moving on with what God wants him to do. How do we apply that to us today? How How do we deal with that today? Do we do that? What if there's somebody that we have um, studied with over several years, and they obey the gospel, and then for whatever reason, this may be a loved one, this may be a relative, it may be a friend, and they've turned back into the world. Do we grieve as Saul did? Hopefully we do. But should it hinder us from moving on with, God, with what God wants us to do? We, we must continue on. And not only for us, but what a better way to influence that person to come back. If you were the one that brought them to Christ and they see you not doing what you're supposed to do just because they're not... Your example to them is, is not going to be what it should be. We must keep on. We we still must grieve, we still much must much, much I can't even talk this morning, must reach out, just as God hadn't given up on Saul as a person. Saul still had choice, Saul still had free will, he could still come back, but he was not going to allow him to be a leader over his people with his disobedience. So application again for us today. Okay, let's move on. God is now sending Samuel to Jesse in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a village a few miles south of Jerusalem in the tribe of Judah, the same Bethlehem that Jesus would be born, being a descendant of David. God wanted Samuel to anoint another king from among the sons of Jesse of Bethlehem. He told Samuel to put oil in his horn and go. As with Saul, the anointing would be the sign that the man was chosen by God for the job, just as in chapter 10, verse 1, when Samuel anointed Saul. Okay, let's move on. Saul had shown no violent tendencies toward Samuel, he had confessed his sin with the Amalekites and professed to be sorry. Yet Samuel somehow knew that in fact Saul was violently determined to keep his position as king. This also shows that Samuel knew Saul's repentance was not genuine. He was determined to oppose God's decree in this matter, even to the point Samuel feared for his life. Now, Samuel had had witnessed how Saul had developed and he was also seeing a tendency that no matter what Saul was going to continue to do what Saul wanted to do without regarding the commandments of God and he goes on to say as we read on so Samuel did what the Lord said and he came to Bethlehem and the elders of the city came trembling To meet him and said, Do you come in peace? He said, In peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, the elders were obviously afraid. Why would the elders be afraid to see Samuel coming? Okay, yeah, that that was one of my first thoughts when I was reading this. What else? What was the what was the job of of prophet to the people? Okay, he was the one who would rebuke the leaders of each village for something that was going on that wasn't in alignment with God's will. So, just as Dora said, they. Word had probably gotten around that he had just hacked King Agag up into pieces. And when they see him coming, they're thinking, okay, what have we done? You know, what's, what's going on here? What does he want? You know, our, our human nature is automatically thinking of the worst. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're just, we're just un, unsure of what's, what's happening here. Okay, anybody else? Why, why would they be afraid? What about just out of respect? I mean, this was a guy who God talked directly to. Just just simply out of out of respect. This this was as this was as close to God as they were going to get, was, was a prophet. Alright, let's move on. Samuel affirms he has come in peace to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. And come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. What did this sanctification involve? If you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 35 and verse 2. That's Genesis chapter 35 and verse 2. And it says... And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Now if you will, let's flip over to Exodus chapter 19, starting at verse 10. That's Exodus chapter 19, beginning at verse 10. I like to hear those pages turning. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Now jump down to Exodus 19 verse 14. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. Verse 15. And be ready for the third day. And do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Verse 17. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain, This was just before the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. The part I want to point out of all that reading is in verse 17 the people came out of the camp to meet with God. Now I'll start thinking application. How does this apply to us today? How do we sanctify ourselves? How do we consecrate ourselves today? through Christ we must be washed of our sins if you will in a spiritual way you know baptism is not the washing away of the filth of the flesh but a answer of a good conscience toward God I'm paraphrasing I'm not Hiram Kemp I can't remember as well <laughs> but anyways that that's how we consecrate ourselves um when, when do we consecrate ourselves? How do we prepare to come in God's presence today? You know, then they had specific sacrifices they made. How do we do this today, as the church? Okay, very good. Anybody else? How do we get our minds focused and prepared for worship? Reading, prayer. What else? Okay. Right. You know, you, you can kind of relate back. If we had some thunderings and lightnings and the and the whole mountain is shaking, it would kind of get your attention and put a little fear in you that you're in the presence of the Almighty God. And I think sometimes we, we may take that for granted in a way. We just we don't think about it in that way but we're coming into presence of God all all the time no matter where we are you know we're always in God's presence and i think you know in some senses it's harder for us today because of that we're we're constantly in the presence of God okay anybody else good comments consecration sanctification Okay, if you will, now let's go to um, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Some of y'all probably know this one by memory. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Another scripture that came to my mind, which was, you know, you start reading through this, and it's it's almost like driving down the road, and it seems like every time you drive down that road, you see something different that you haven't seen before. I know a lot of times when I'm the passenger instead of the driver, you get time to look around, and even though you've driven a road for 30 years, you see things that, you don't see when you're behind the wheel and God's words kind of like that every time I read through it I start thinking about other passages that relate to it I start thinking about how this applies to something that's happened in my life I start thinking about how this applies to something that's happened to a loved one just as we talked before or a friend and how do we apply that today alright Hebrews chapter 6 Hebrews chapter 6 And verse 6, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 6. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame, for the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs, useful for those by whom it is cultivated. Receives blessings from God. Verse 8. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Verse 9. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, verse 10 For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises there's a lot going on in those scriptures right there and i think this this gives us a lot of hope in when we're trying to bring folks back and we're we're trying to teach people that repentance is available but they must act on it it's just like when Um, when Samuel was grieving for Saul, he could not act for Saul. And we can't act for the loved one or the friend who's fallen away. But we can still have patience, we can still have faith, we can still continue to be there for that person. And there will be a day that they will appreciate that and they will seek God again. It may be weeks, months, it may be years, it may be decades. But if we continue to offer that example, Lord willing, they will they will come back. Questions or comments? Y'all quiet today. Okay. I'd like to compare two scriptures here which which kind of come to my mind after I read this. If you if you look back in 1 Samuel Chapter 15 and verse 22 and 23. That's 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is a sin of divination. And insubordination is an iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And compare that to Hebrews 6 and verse 6, which says, And then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves themselves to the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. So just as back in Saul and Samuel's day, God is looking for our obedience. Repentance is there, but God wants our obedience. Because with obedience, repentance is not necessary. But they go hand in hand because we're human. We're all going to trip and fall. And thank God repentance is there. But we must acknowledge that this reminds me of Saul. And in the back of my mind, I think he realizes that sacrifice is there. And he knows the whole reason for sacrifice. But it almost seems like he's relying on the sacrifice rather than being obedient. Just as we can do today. We know that the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from our sins... But then repentance is required. And if God is looking at us and we're thinking, well, you know, if I do this, I can repent, that's falling in the realm of a choice. It's rebellion. It's 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 not just slipping up and our emotions taking over for, for whatever reason. But I just think it's very important to keep that in mind, that obedience comes first in our choices. Hopefully, there's comments on this one. Anyone? Y'all are really. I see your gears turning, but nobody's saying anything. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. All right. Looking back at Saul's decisions that were not good, what were they lacking? these verses talked about it a lot in Hebrews. What what was Saul's decisions lacking? Obedience. Okay, obedience obviously, but what what two things first off, why why do we why do we make good decisions? What makes us make good decisions? Faith. Faith. Okay. Um, sometimes, you know, we We don't want to wait. We don't want. We want to. Just as Saul, he wanted to act. He didn't want to wait for anything. He he was going to act. So, what else? What's the other word? Patience. You got to have patience. They go hand in hand. You got to have faith to have patience. But sometimes you got to have the patience to let the faith do its job. Let it work. You got to give it time, you know, that kind of thing. So, anyone else? Harold. Okay. Good comment. All right, let's move on. All right. Okay, we get down to the verse six. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, "Surely the Lord's anointed is before him." But the Lord said to Samuel. Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. All right, I'm going to stop right there. Um, why did Samuel immediately think that that this was the chosen one? This, this first one was the chosen one right and he was probably i'm going to guess he may have been the oldest i don't quote me on that but i'm assuming because it seemed like they went from the oldest to the youngest Um, but what previous incident would have made okay he was head and shoulders above everyone else so big man they're looking at somebody big in stature impressive Physically uh, to pick. So he immediately, you know, he's thinking back. He's thinking, he's trying to think like God. You know, okay, God picked picked Saul. So this this is the guy right here. Okay. Um, okay. Thank you. Did y'all hear that? He was the oldest son. Okay. Okay. Um, Of course, God says to Samuel, do not look at the appearance of his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart or the character. Now, this is another question that went through my mind. I'm I'm sitting here thinking, okay, um, God looks at the heart. So God obviously looked at the heart of Saul, did he not? Does God make mistakes? No. So did God misjudge Saul? No. Saul had free will. Saul had good um, mentoring from Samuel on how to do things. It's not like he didn't know. He made choices. Saul was a very impatient person. He was, he was acting, you know, immediately. He was not waiting on God. He was going to take care of business, which, which is not a bad trade in a leader. But, but he, he had to step back and follow what God was asking him, asking him to do. So it goes back to our free will and our choice. You know, Saul could have been a great king. If he had been obedient, if he had had enough faith to be patient, but he was still acting, uh, he was allowing the people. And if you'll notice, something else I picked out when I was reading back in 15 was um, when, when Samuel called him out on what had happened, Saul almost immediately blamed the people that they had had gathered all this stuff. He was already, and that's another not a good sign of a good leader when you start pointing a finger at somebody else when it was ultimately your choice, your decision to do or not do what God had, had told him to do. So then again, the lessons we learn from this and our choices and our free will, it, it's just amazing. And then you sit and think... Um, all the biblical stories where it talks about people being in a certain time and a certain place and the choices that they make. Of course, our minds automatically go through and think, okay, what if this person had made this choice? What if this person had made that choice? The thing we got to remember, God's God's got a plan. And he gives us free will, and he gives us choices. And his will will be done, whether we do his will or not. It's going to be done by someone else. Someone. We've seen that in Esther. You know, she was placed in that particular place at that time, and then Mordecai was the underlying force behind all that, far as mentoring and and directing far as in God's will. But she was able to do what she did because she was in that position. Mordecai could have never done that on his own. You see, so when you when you try to put some of this together, it's, it's truly amazing of how people and how the things work out. No matter no matter what choice people make, God's gonna His plan's gonna continue on. Questions or comments? I see a lot of wheels turning again. <coughs> Okay, thank you for those comments. <coughs> let's move on. <coughs> Y'all pardon my coughing. Okay, let's move on. Let's see. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shema pass by And he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons (coughs) pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for... For we will not sit down until he comes here. So he went and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and handsome in appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon david from that day forward and samuel arose and went to rama okay so here we go again god has chosen the least the least um, and i think another point that we can make out of this is even though god does not look on our outward appearance I think God still wants us to be presentable. We're made in his image. And we we do need to take care of our physical appearance, even though we look on each other's hearts. But we still, physically, we need to take care of our our temples, as God would have us to do. Um, Now, as far as David here, what can we what can we glean out of just what we read about David? What kind of character he would have based on what he was doing? What was he doing? He was a shepherd. Okay. What does a shepherd do? Okay. He tends to the flock. What does that What does that require? Okay. He has to protect them from Uh, Wild animals, we will see that in future chapters coming up of of where he defended the flock from, I think, a lion and a bear. So I don't want to fight a bear or a lion. And I'm sure they didn't have the the weapons that we have today in order to deal with that kind of thing. So you just think about uh, what kind of person he had to be. He had to be very brave. He had to be physically capable. He had to be fearless and he had to be dedicated to his job because a lot of times the shepherd would be a long way from from home wherever the it required him to go to shepherd their flock. They would have to be outside outside at night. And you think about all the things that a shepherd have to go through and this this goes back to to me what God was looking at in David as a person. I don't know that Do, do we know, Hiram? No? So, well, I mean, he had to be well, old, enough. old enough. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. That, that I can't answer, but um, yes. Okay. 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 Very good. Okay. Well, let's read on. We're just about out of time. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and the evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you that he shall play the harp with his hand, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with the flock. Jesse took a donkey and loaded with bread, a jug of wine, and a young goat, and sent them to Saul by David, his son. Then David came, and Saul attended him, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul David would take the harp and play it with his hand and Saul would be refreshed and be well and the evil spirit would depart from him. There's a lot of things we could pull out of this but I think it's so interesting that here you've got the king who's going to be dethroned and then you've got the anointed future king that everybody don't know about yet. This would come later. But then he is actually sent to help him with this evil spirit that God had sent. And I get to thinking about all these, what exactly does that mean, evil spirit that God sent? And my immediate thought goes to our conscience. You know, what was Saul thinking? Saul had just went through all these different things that had happened. He had just witnessed... uh, Samuel hack up King Agag, and is his conscience playing with him? Thoughts? What governs our conscience? But what governs our conscience to do right or wrong, or or what we judge to be right or wrong? Okay, which would be back to God's will, hopefully. So, is Saul's conscience playing on him? How many of y'all like to listen to music? I do. I, I love listening to music. It 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 soothes me if I'm, you know, having a bad day. So I we can all relate to that of how Saul was feeling. But it's just so interesting. But there you go again. You have these two people, one who's going to be dethroned and one who's going to be elevated. And of course we know. What's going to happen in the future? Those, you know, as we read through this, we'll see. But it's just so interesting how how these things play out. Questions or comments? We're just about out of time. Well, you know, that's a good point. Did y'all hear that? Just, uh, Mary Lewis was wondering if Saul was becoming jealous because David was popping up into the solution for for all the problem solving or the things that were happening yes yes and i think something else is more interesting when you talk about people is when jonathan starts playing into this you remember how close david and jonathan become and then you remember all the things that happened between jonathan and saul so it you know when you sit and start thinking about all this it's pretty impressive so well thank you for your comments and thank you for being here